This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to reflect on the year that was and the future of heritage in the city. Elizabeth Cardosa, our resident heritage conservation expert, joins me via Zoom for our final episode of the year together to look back at the conversations that we've had throughout 2021. It's the year we started looking beyond the greater Klang Valley for places that are smaller in stature but still unique and important in their presence and impact to the community. Yeah, I think that one of the things about when we first started this program years ago, right? You know, we, st- we were talking really about trying to understand, you know, a building where it's sad the who, the what, the where, the look of it, you know, the physical nature of it um, and its history, obviously, and the people related to it and looking at those kinds of stories. And we have, I think this year, moved a little bit beyond um, into the greater Klang Valley in a sense, um, gone beyond just the individual buildings into, as you said, areas or into, you know, different concepts like, you know, um, old shop houses, you know, what do you do? You know, how do you make them sustainable and how... You know, or do you just say, it's okay, you know, let's move on and forget about it, you know? So at what point, you know, and where do we end up reflecting on what do we need or what should we be retaining? And why do we need to do that? And does it reflect, I think, on us as a community, as a society? And KL, because it is the centre politically, Economically, I suppose, literally the centre in terms of the peninsula, right? I mean, it's central, um, as opposed to north, south, east, west, that sort of thing, right? We we want to kind of like focus on not just a specific or one community. I think we 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 have tried, I think, in in this program to look at the many different aspects and the many different stratas and the many different, I think, textures of the city. And its surrounding. So I think that that's kind of been a bit fun, you know, talking about like Kerry Island and talking about Pangsun, you know, which is what we, and you know, Sungapulo uh, Leprosy Centre as a, as an area that people don't really, you know, you might know, but you don't recognise it for its origins because we've kind of moved on sometimes. It's because um, the places have changed names and sometimes it's because it no longer has the look of uh, something that, you would think of as as heritage, you know. And it's not just about nostalgia. Um, Heritage is not just about nostalgia. It's not about just, you know, retaining it for the sake of retaining it. It really is the only way for heritage and the built heritage and our cultural heritage to survive and, in a sense, move forward is for it to continue to have relevance to us. And in order for anything to have relevance, I think, we really do need to be able to understand it and to know more about its past. So, you know, to know is to, I suppose, is to love, some people say, you know, as opposed to just fleetingly it's there. And then if it's not there, well, you know, what does it matter? And I think that that is something that I kind of want to say that for me at a personal level this year, 
heritage in Malaysia, but certainly for me personally, as well as I think for the nation, as and definitely for Kuala Lumpur, we lost a very important man to the heritage movement, I think, you know, in the past uh, 20-odd years. And that was the Tunamatsaji when he passed away because of COVID. Um, well, because he contracted COVID and, and got and it was just devastating because he believed really in the fact that this past of ours and which was manifested and which was, you know, seen in the built environment was something that, that would give us roots. It would hold us as, as a nation, as a people, as a community, whoever it belonged to. It would give you the understanding and the trust in the future. And I think that um, losing people, individuals, I think we lost a lot of people um, this year. As I was saying to you earlier, you know, last year we were struggling with COVID, but it was, we didn't quite know what we were coping with, but we, you know, thought, okay, one year, lah, right? You know, this year we are quite fatigued. You know, it's been persistent and it's gone on. And because maybe last year it was a bit further away from us, you know, for whatever reason, this year I felt for me personally, it became very, very close um, because there were people I knew personally who I admired or, you know, had contact with, you know, in my phone, you know what I mean, or spoke with. Um, and they were they were lost. And so when you lose this sense of your, your, your human, of your individual family of individuals who are important to you, imagine, you know, when I take that idea and I translate it into, you know, when you lose the environment in which you live, you know, the built environment, when that's taken away from you, imagine... Um, how disenfranchised you become. You know, you, you get a little bit confused by it, actually. It's like, oh, it used to be there. Oh, now it's not there. You know, what does that mean? You know, and how does that help us navigate into the future? And I think that that when we talk about, you know, KL and what KL represents in terms of its built heritage, in terms of the place um, and its historical places, um, I think it's quite important for us to remember that at some point these places had meaning, maybe beyond what we see now quite superficially. They had the, the kind of roots that they had um, and, and, and provided us with, I think are really, really important to establishing our identity um, for keeping our memory, because memory is something that we do need. If we don't have memory, we don't have connections. We don't have connections with the past. And that connection is what connects the present with the future, you know. And it is that sort of link, and I think that relationship sounds a bit like, okay, like all up there in the air, but the built environment, I think, is something that anchors it. And I think that that's why it's important to remember these places. And that's kind of why I enjoyed this program as well, sort of chatting about, you know, these places and its significance 
um, to different people at different points of time. And it changes. These values might change over a period of time. But at the end of the day, if they persist, there's something there. And that's what makes it important for us to keep, to hang on to, to nurture, you know, and to and to celebrate. Mm. Um, what I find quite interesting based on what you said earlier is that how our conversation tend to revolve around nostalgia, right? And I think if you, I guess, hear it, you know, on a superficial level, it tends to sometimes gravitate around that that nature, right? The tone has always been a bit more nostalgic, but we're not doing it for the sake of, like you said, right? For the sake of, of, of you know, being nostalgic for the sake of it, right? There is a deeper meaning towards, you know, I guess appreciating, you know, the heritage that we have. But sometimes it's a bit difficult to not be nostalgic as well, right? Um, so as much as, yeah, <laughs> as much as, you know, you would argue that, you know, we're seeing things based on, you know, using our rose-tinted glasses and whatnot. Sometimes you need a bit of that romance as well, right? You need a bit of that nostalgia oh, in order to appreciate yeah, yeah. everything, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you should not only think about it as a, um, what do you call it? I mean, okay, it's not just about you personally, right? That, that's one thing. It, it is about, you know, how it connects us. Because when I first came involved, I was always involved in culture, I mean, for a long, long time. But in terms of, you know, specifically more when we're talking about heritage, about the legacy of the past, um, not just about culture and tradition, but about legacies, yeah. It was, heritage was kind of like a stigma. It wasn't something that, you know, you kind of celebrated and said, oh, you know, how important is it, you know? But it was more about, yeah, it's so ola, you know, that's just because new is good, glass is good, modern is good, you know, moving forward is good. Um, heritage is, yeah, I mean, it's like we can get rid of it because it's not, it is old, it is um, not relevant to us in contemporary times. And I think that when you, Moving forward, I think there was a move toward trying to understand the fact that if, but if you let go of everything in the past, then how do you know, um, what, A, never mind where you want to be, but what points of comparison do you have with whether you're doing well, how you're progressing as a society, as a nation? So I think that for KL, and not just for KL, maybe for Malaysia, for the whole world, as a matter of fact, you know, I think it is important for us to just not just look at what exists in terms of heritage, but, you know, how it can benefit or does it benefit? Who does it benefit? You know, the local communities, does it benefit the nation? You know, and, and, and so I'm just sort of trying to think about, you know, all the buildings that have been lost in this period or buildings of people. I started over talking about people, you know, and I think that we should debate this whole issue of, you know, how do we restore? Should we restore? And if we restore or if we conserve, if we preserve, at what point of its history, because history goes across time, right? At what point do we focus on? We cannot focus on everything. Um, if we are talking about building conservation, 
we have to make a decision as to what then is its significance and how do we understand that um, and are there conflicts and how do we make sure that that it remains relevant or it is not just relevant now but it remains relevant and continues to function in a more sustainable way in the future and so we can't look at heritage on its own as an object having its own integrity it yes it does but we also have to look at it within the context of where it sits in terms of history in terms of timeline in terms of the community uh, who participate in it who are around it who are surrounded by it so i think no it's not just about nostalgia because if it is only about nostalgia then it's okay lah we can replace it with something else you know with other forms of nostalgia you know but i think that our built environment is extremely important to retain because it gives us perspective and it reminds us of things and it may not remind us of things we like but they are markers that's pretty important as well right? especially as i guess you know the more we develop the more we progress it feels like it has become a bit of a kind of a contentious point a sore point between i guess you know preservation and development right yeah as if as if they are in opposing ends they're not they're not you know mm. i mean you know you can't stop okay every day you grow older right i mean I, I, you know every day you wake up in the morning uh, you've changed because you're one day older you know and it isn't that you mm. you want to remain yesterday because you can't remain yesterday right you you are today but you also want to say what is important yesterday and today that you want to keep for tomorrow and really that at the end of the day is you know what is it that makes it important and what is it that we want to celebrate and um is it for us individually um which it can be by the way you know if it's personal at a very personal level but you multiply that by people you multiply that by families you multiply that by communities you multiply that by state you multiply that by the nation you know and these roots and these memories and these legacies are things that anchor us it's not something that we want to see completely unchanged because it's not an object it's not what i call heritage under glass you know when you put the glass dome over something and you cannot touch it right it's a vacuum you know what i mean Mm. And so it exists like that forever, but it is sterile in that sense. It 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 uh, you look at it, it may be beautiful, it may not be, but whatever it is, it's just there. It exists. Um, heritage has to have it has to touch you. It has to make you feel. You know, you have to have an emotional reaction to it. If not, it's just there. It's kind of like pretty lah. You know, Instagrammable. You know, but. Does it impact on you? You know, will you remember it? Will you carry forward what it represented? Um, and that's about culture and tradition, really. You know, heritage, culture, and tradition—you cannot separate them. And I think it is quite important that we remember that because in progressing, fast-progressing cities that want to be, you know, world-class, that want to be uh, ahead of its time. Sometimes we forget that, so we want to build the tallest buildings, and we want to build the all singing, all dancing, something that can be labeled, you know, the best, the biggest, the tallest, the highest, the whatever. 
when every time you use the word the biggest, the best, the tallest, you're comparing it against something. Well, what are you comparing it against? You're comparing it something in the past. And so um, when we look in Kuala Lumpur and we look at the Sultan of Samad building, for example, you know, 120 years ago when it was built, it was the biggest, the tallest, the best, okay? Um, the most monumental. And then, you know, 100 years after that, you had the Twin Towers. It was the biggest, the tallest, the best, okay? And now you have, uh, you know, the TRX Tower, you have the 118 development, the Merdeka Tower 118 that is coming up. But I believe has now kept the, in progress, but, you know, it's currently the tallest or among the tallest in Asia, Southeast Asia, the world, you know, that kind of thing. Well, you know, when you're looking at that, when you, when you compare that, it is a comparison. So, so it, it cannot be the biggest, the tallest, the best if there was nothing there to compare it with. And that's really the, the anchor that heritage, I think, our built environment gives us. And the lessons that we can learn from that, I think, is very important for, for communities to recognise. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, reflecting on the year that was. We're going to make way for some messages. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me for our final episode on heritage this year is Elizabeth Cardosa, and we've been reflecting on the year that was, our conversations on heritage and what the challenges will be in the future. Let's continue that conversation. I don't, I don't want to make this sound ages, but in your involvement with with heritage, do you see a lot of younger people, you know, taking up the mantle as opposed to as an extent? Only because I'm I'm just wondering whether there's a generational gap when it comes to you know conversations like this. You know, thinking about the importance no, of preserving heritage. Actually, you know, I had a, um, a conversation quite recently with somebody who's older than you, but definitely not as old as me, about intergenerational um, inheritance. You know like taking on something intergenerationally where a younger generation inherits something you inherit and then you bring forward and you modernize. And I was thinking of it in terms of a couple of restaurants that I know, for example. You know, on a big scale, if you look at something like um, the Royal Slang or Pewter Company, uh, you know, that had its roots in KL in a shop house, you know, um, a, a pewter maker. From that route, you now have this major international company that is still owned by the family, five generations down. So they haven't given it up. They have actually developed it, morphed it, it's, but it's remained true to its roots. They still look at the making of pewterware and the excellence of the, the, the craftsmanship, but they have imbued completely, you know, um, not so much new technologies or, or, you know, the craft of it, but certainly in terms of design, in terms of marketing and branding and the kind of way you promote it. Um, but the, the making of the pewter 
uh, a lot of it, which, you know, when you need the handmade tools, uh, it's still done that way because that's what gives it its edge. It isn't just mechanized. There is an imprint of a person on it. And I think that, that um, so your question about, you know, are there younger people who are involved? I would say there was a gap. There is the oldies like me, three. And then there wasn't something in between. And then all of a sudden, I think it's kind of skipped a generation or so. Um, and then all of a sudden now among the younger people, and whether it's because of social media, whether it's because um, of, uh, yeah, well, and I think actually social media has a lot to do with it. Um, access to information, you know, you can, you can share information so much more easily. People can pick up on it. And, and there are all these different communities. Imagine a number of different Facebook groups, you know, that talk about nostalgia or old pictures, old KL or whatever. And I mean, it used to be in blogs, but now it's really through Facebook, through Instagram. Through, you know, these are the platforms on which young people and older people can share stories. They can um, share, they can exchange, they can learn and teach and educate each other intergenerationally. So, no, I don't think, I don't think it's, that I, I'm not pessimistic about the future of heritage. I actually think that, you know, we, we, it, it might survive, as a matter of fact. And also because, of course, um, with uh, social media and with the way the world uh, is going, there is a turning back to craftsmanship and hand craftsmanship and excellence of individuals and, and a recognition of that in the arts and cultural world, not just celebrating modernity, but celebrating how modernity has its roots in the past. And I think that that is something that I see as hopeful. And if you look at the at new businesses that have arisen, you know, based on the past, craft, let's say, craft businesses, um, food businesses. Um, yes, they're capitalizing on something. If they had any, the, the ones that survive are the ones that um, have got um, the soul, have got the understanding and the integrity of the, the actual essence of that, whatever it is they're participating in it. And they have been able to translate that, you know, into the, the, the current, into the future. So you look at food businesses where people have taken traditional foods and they have not changed its taste, but presented it in a different way to a different audience, um, democratizing it in a sense, you know, um, making it more available and accessible. And that actually has rarely been done by young people. Um, and I think that, that having taken up the mantle, um, people like you, you know, you talk about it. I think that maybe 20 years ago, there would have been fewer of you types. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but when I remember looking at uh, what was available in the news, the, the discussions that were going on, it was limited. 
it was much more limited because there were other concerns or there were other needs that were driver that were drivers there were key drivers but now the ability to enjoy culture the ability to celebrate it we're stepping up to the mark and i think young people have a lot to do with it i'm not saying you know they're bees knees because sometimes the gray hair also helps okay <laughs> i mean meaning in terms of knowledge or, or or but it is really about learning from each other not just one generation being uh, the custodian because you you can be a custodian if you cannot pass it down if you don't have a palapis yeah to pass it down to um, it's going to die with you mm. Um, let's talk about the late Tuna Marsaji. Uh, I think a figure that's pretty influential in the heritage scene. Uh, for I, I think a lot of listeners out there who are perhaps not familiar with him, um, maybe perhaps you can give us a bit of a background. Um, Ahmad Saji was um, a civil servant. He was he was the longest serving, I think, at that time, chief secretary to the government. He um, studied history and he was very passionate about history and He was very passionate about his family. He was very passionate about roots. And he loved old buildings. He just loved them. I mean, they represented to him, I think, a soul and a story and, a, and an inspiration of what was possible. And they could be tiny little timber vernacular houses that were in a kampong to the big, the modern, the beautiful, the monumental yeah um, and he was for me almost you know my, my first memory of working with him and for him because uh, he was president of Baden-Weyersan when I um, joined Baden-Weyersan to work with him he one day turns up to a meeting and has with him an article from I think it was the Edge I think um, newspaper and he holds it up and he says you see this article about Stadium Merdeka and it was it was an article saying why the stadium was so important and why it should be retained and at that time there was the possibility of it being demolished because that was the plan for it right and he holds it up and he smiles and he says I've saved it uh, we bought it And at that time, he was also chairman PNB. And we're going to make sure that it doesn't get demolished. And it was just, just like that. He didn't, there was no fanfare. There was no, no singing and dancing. But he was gleeful, you know, that he could do something. He was in a position to do something, to negotiate, to navigate these, these um, to lobby for quietly, because that was his way. He never wanted to. He, he would never go out aggressively to fight for something, but he was more, much more strategic in arguing, you know, for a particular case. And he was, he, he, because of his experience, having led the civil service of the country for many, many years, um, understood the ways of government, uh, was very passionate about history. And um, and what it represented was very passionate about. He was he was a patriot. I mean, he was a nationalist. You know, he was a patriot. I would say he was Malaysian through and through, um, and believed very much in the nation and in the heritage being very much part of the soul and the roots of the nation. 
So his work in Baden-Weissland in the years that he was president was to lobby for, to push for all sorts of, you know, and to advocate for change. But also he was extremely supportive of the work that Baden-Weissland did related to communities. And even if he didn't quite understand, you know, what I would be going on about, you know, some small village somewhere, um, he would go if, if it's going to be important for us to step in and retain or, you know, support a community on, we should do that because it's important. If it's important to that community, let's do that. And so I think that for me, his loss at a personal level really resonated because I felt the nation lost, not just a good man, we, we've lost many good people uh, to COVID, but we lost almost our greatest advocate for for a time of that of his of his caliber of his position in society in in government or former government of his um contacts and context and so yeah i i think that that for me was something i learned a lot from him and i think um, you know heritage in malaysia and he he was the one who you know was instrumental in in um, us being able to restore um, stadium Merdeka and ensuring that both Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Megara in perpetuity will not and cannot be demolished. I mean, that's that takes a real brave man to do, I'll tell you. You know, these two properties sit in 18 acres of land, you know, in the middle of the city center. Imagine the cost if you were to demolish them and rebuild, you know. I mean, meaning the the your return on your investment, so to speak, yeah. Um, and and against a lot of advice and a lot of people, including people involved in heritage, he he fought tooth and nail, um, pushed for their restoration there, and put them into a trusteeship in perpetuity. And I think that that is something that. People don't know about, but I, I will always know. And, and that's a story I think that we should remember him for, among the many other things. That definitely, you know, and that relates back to his passion for KL. Mm. Okay. Um, what, what are your, I guess, you know, um, outlook moving forward, you know, as we, to a certain extent, I feel like we're still grappling with, 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 the situation right now, you know, um, as much as, you know, there's a ray of sunshine, you know, there's still <laughs> a bit of cloud here and there as well. So, so how, how are we going to yeah, navigate through this moving forward? You know, because I, I don't, unfortunately, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I feel like it's going to get a little bit more challenging in the future. And, and in terms of talking, talking about, about this. heritage, you're talking about life in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe to an extent both, right? Maybe to an extent both, but I guess let's focus on heritage for now in this particular episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that that I think KL has a, a challenge ahead of it because the tensions I think between um, on the one end of the spectrum, how much the, the cost of land you know, the, the, the price factor there um, that has a, a very strong capitalist value that is added to it that you can see, understand, quantify, you know, because your land evaluate, you know, your land valuers will be able to tell you, like, if you know it's located here, you can do this. Uh, your city plan will tell you how much you can redevelop it into, you know, how many thousands and thousands of 
I don't know, you know, square feet of space, right? And so the, that on the one hand, there is that pressure. On the other hand, if it's not there anymore, and then it just becomes another tower or another high rise, what distinction, what kind of identity of place that is personal to Kuala Lumpur will you get or will you lose? And I think that, that you know, we change names of streets, we change names of places, we, we demolish and we reconstruct and we ignore the old. And then everything becomes kind of like a pastiche of sort of much more of the same. Oh, yeah, I saw this. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, I was not here. I was Chirasa. I know. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? And so it becomes blurred. And the character and the stories and its distinction and its identity gets lost. It gets kind of like grayed out, you know. And I think that KL especially and, and a lot of the cities will have this pressure certainly in the Klang Valley, because of the way economics and development is viewed. Some other places may not have it, you know, but even in smaller neighbourhoods, I live in an older neighbourhood in PJ, I mean, you know, I look around me and, and I, I'm fortunate in that I'm off the main roads where the houses are still residences for most part. But all around the edge, it's becoming developed into high-rise, into apartments. So the neighbourhood character is changing and it's changing very rapidly because as it's accelerating, shall we put it. So, you know, one of the things that I, a challenge uh, for people working in heritage like myself is to look at this issue, what we call the rate of change. You know, how fast is it changing? And at what point is that balance tipped where there is no longer the memory of the old, that legacy is, is and that is just there um, in, maybe in a photo, if you're lucky, maybe in a newspaper article or, uh, you know, somebody's written something about it, if you're lucky, um, maybe in the memory of someone, if you're lucky. But in people, if it is in an individual's memory, when that person is gone, that memory is lost. Photos remain you know, print materials remain, but they only tell one aspect, you know, they, they, they're not, it's not wholesome, it's not holistic. And so I think that, yes, those, those are challenges for the Klang Valley, per se, because we are so focused on, you know, moving around and our roads and our highways, because, you know, that is seen as the economic drivers um, that we lose our culture can get left behind um, because it is dispensable. Or, oh, because if we demolish this block of shop houses, it doesn't matter because there's another one that exists, you know, in another part of the city, that kind of thing. Uh, but so at which point does it diminish to the level that what is left is not enough, yeah? to support that story, the story of the development of Kuala Lumpur, the story of how the city grew, the story of its roots, the story of the people who built the city. And I think that that is where, from a heritage perspective, I think that it would be really important for us to continue to fight for. And 
you know, I will say that, you know, City Hall, um, DBKL are doing, you know, I, I think they, you know, are, I think maybe aware of it because they, you know, have been doing some talks and seminars and webinars and, you know, um, events to try to celebrate the roots of the city, the history of the city. But it's always seen in, deve- in the development paradigm. Um, where is the cultural paradigm, you know? Where is the, the, the other part of it, the traditions, the people? If we are only looking at the physical space, it can be beautiful, it can be kept, but where's the soul? You know, who interacts with it? If we only do this because we feel that, you know, clean, green, beautiful, we can bring in visitors, you know, visitors are transient. You know, what about the community who lives there, who owns it, who wants to have a better place to interact with, a safer place to interact with? I think these are the kinds of layers that I hope moving forward, that I, and I think young people are very much part of this discussion and this discourse and um, these, um, they're not movements, but, you know, just, just things that are popping out as you see small activities going on, you know, buildings that have been converted. And so you might say, oh, you know, well, it's very artsy-fartsy or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, um, if it wasn't there, then you go, oh, you know, oh, you mean uh, if I go and I come and I visit KL, what is there to do? What is there to do? You know, is there any cultural activity? Yeah, I can go shopping. Yes, I can go eating, you know. But what kind of, what else is there about Kuala Lumpur? And heritage is the answer to that. If we retain the stories, if we retain the places with these stories, if we retain the people or we use and we celebrate these, then we're okay. Then we're, we, can, we can move. So I think, yeah, the next few years is going to tell us, you know, as new developments are raging, <laughs> say raging, but you know, growing as, um, you know, you, you, every time you go into lockdown, okay, um, the cranes and that kind of activity stops for a while. But, you know, the building industry is just, I mean, you just look around you anywhere in KLPJ, Klang, on the highways, you know, in the Greater Klang Valley, you will see new things being built, new roads being built. Um, and you think about what then they have displaced. And I think that that is important for us to remember and to retain if we feel and to fight for if we feel it's important. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Elizabeth Cardosa sharing her thoughts and reflections on the year that was and her hopes for the future. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Hanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9 The Business Station